Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, It's Always Sunny creator Rob McElhaney returns to television with a new series, and it's a mythic quest. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, we're back with a new episode and a new guest, someone I have never uh, spoken with before. I'm a great admirer of his work. If you love comedy, if you love uh, innovative comedy that kind of reinvented the form, you look, you can look no further than It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What, 15 or so years ago, uh, Rob and a bunch of cohorts created this really kind of DIY um, sitcom, this down and dirty sitcom that surprised a lot of people on the FX channel. The second season they brought in Danny DeVito, and ever since then it's been going going strong. And uh, it's uh, it's one of those shows that like I feel like I need to return to, I need to catch up on. Like I watch the first bunch of seasons, and then I just I forget that it's like always there. And 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 every so often you hear of them reemerging with like an innovation like uh, a couple years ago when Rob uh, decided to gain 50 pounds <laughs> between seasons and then a couple years later when Rob decided to end the season with a a world-class ballet and showing off his newly buff bod like R Rob and, and and again his his collaborators over there are really interesting and they really push uh, the boundaries of what's expected of so-called traditional sitcoms uh, and he continues that with a new show. This is his first new series, actually. His first new, like, real, uh, you know, brainchild of, of a television series since It's Always Sunny, primarily because that show has taken up so much of his time. But um, this new show is called Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet. And as the title suggests, it's uh, the, 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 the kind of somewhat pompous title um, is really the title of the game within the show. This is about uh, a, it's really an, a workplace comedy in some ways about folks that are developing the newest iteration of a ginormously successful uh, video game a World of Warcraft type game. And Rob is at the center of it, he stars in it, um, and he plays kind of a pompous uh, ass right in the center of this uh, really fun workplace comedy. I've seen the first few episodes, it's great. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. I believe all nine episodes are there for you. They, they debuted all of them at once. It's already been renewed for a second season, so there is investment in this. If you feel like, oh wait, I don't wanna get invested in a new show, it's gonna come back for a second go around. And it's Rob, surrounded by a great ensemble, F. Murray Abraham, chewing the scenery like no one else can. Uh, a really fun show. And this was a really fascinating conversation. Rob is a very intelligent, thoughtful guy um, and really interested in hearing his approach to It's Always Sunny and the character choices he's made uh, for himself and also why he hasn't been able to translate some of that success into feature films. Uh, we talk at length about the Minecraft movie that he was working on and was apparently like like days, a couple weeks away from going into production with Steve Carell starring, Rob as the director, and why that, even with the best of intentions, fell apart. So that's fascinating to hear. Um, yeah, this was, this was a good one. Rob hasn't really done a ton of publicity over the years because It's Always Sunny has kind of run on autopilot. It doesn't need publicity. But uh, he, you know, he came to New York a couple weeks back, wanted to get the word out on this show on the eve of the show's debut. And uh, I'm so glad he stopped by and had a chat. This is, this is a really fun one. 
Uh, other than that, things to mention in the Josh Horowitz uh, universe, uh, had a chance to catch up with Zoe Deutsch. Of course, she's been on the podcast before. Um, she is always uh, fantastic to talk to. She has a new film called Buffaloed that just opened uh, in theaters and on VOD. You should check that out. That conversation is on MTV News' YouTube channels. I put it up on my socials, so you can't miss that. She's always fun to talk to and, and really fun to, to see what she's up to. I mean, I've been talking to her since she made her basically her film debut. It wasn't a debut in Vampire Academy, but it was like certainly uh, her her first big role. And I've been talking to her ever since and been fascinating to see sort of her trajectory and, and see where she's going to go next is, is, is really exciting. So uh, yes, catch up on that. What else? If you haven't caught up our Sam he on our Sam Hewen live episode, check that out in the feed. Uh, yeah, lots of goodies for you guys. I hope you guys are enjoying all that Happy, Sad, Confused has to offer. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, spread the good word. And I hope you guys, whether you're It's Always Sunny fan or not, or whether you've checked out uh, Mythic Quest yet or not, this is a, a really interesting conversation with a, a, a thoughtful, fun, funny guy uh, and, a, and a true innovator uh, in the comedy space. Uh, this is Rob McElhaney. Rob, welcome to my office. Great to meet you. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful to be here. That's as This is where it all happens? Like, by all you mean... Just conversation, yeah, it's pretty magical. You feel the magic? I mean, you've had some uh, some serious guests. I feel like there's a hair coming off your microphone, and oh. I apologize. Thank that's you. you know. Oh, this is so embarrassing for you. There's yeah. another one. That's all my hair. I shed like crazy. Oh, interesting. Um, you've well, had some like serious guests in here. Yeah. Now we're trying something different. Yes, and I appreciate that. Stop I appreciate it. you lowering, lowering <laughs> the bar and allow, allowing me in your office. Stop it. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, Thank you. I love the new show. Congrats, man. Thank you. Um, Mythic Quest. Yes. Raven's Banquet. Great title, huh? That's the way you have to say it, I yes. feel. Well, we, we recognized that we had great success uh, in having a title that was too long to fit on a poster. Right. Uh, for <laughs> right. Sunny and ridiculous. Right. And then we thought, well, why not just extend that for the next one? Was it always going to have the, the, the subtitle, the... Uh, uh, Raven's Banquet, and who is Raven, and what's the banquet? No, okay, so, and that actually has been a, been a point of contention. Is it Raven's Banquet? Yeah. Is it Ravens, as in plural, or is it apostrophe S, meaning is it one Raven's Banquet? Right. Right? That's and what I had assumed. It's, sure. It's Raven had it's a the, banquet. It's and, the banquet yeah. of, 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 of an engorged Raven, I suppose, <laughs> and who would, I don't know, who would want to go to that or why? Right. Uh, no, um, actually, the original... The original name of the show was, uh, you know what? This is the first time I'm actually going to talk about this. this is an exclusive? I feel like we have long, long form so we can discuss yes, it. Yes. The Spend original. 20 minutes on the title, please. Okay, perfect. The original name of the show <laughs> is was Hero Quest. Okay. Okay. Now, everybody uh, in the industry knows that there was a game called Hero Quest back in the day, but it was so old, we felt like it wouldn't, it really wouldn't be an issue. Uh, it turns out it was, and that didn't clear. So we had to come up with another title. And so we came up with, and I'm not exaggerating, 55 titles. And none of them cleared. And the reason that they didn't clear was because the video game industry is just so massive. Yeah. And then it also extended further outside of the video game and just into games, like board games. Uh, and, 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 and we just felt like, or Apple uh, and Lionsgate felt, collectively that we just didn't want to open ourselves up to the certain level of exposure. But then we were also like, guys, we have to title the show something. Yeah. And so Mythic Quest even didn't quite clear, but not because there was ever a game or a show called Mythic Quest. 
there was another game called Mystic Quest, and they thought that maybe that would uh, pose some issues. So that's when we realized, okay, the entire, se- the entire first series, first uh, season of the show, yep. was about this new expansion, and the new expansion was going to be something ridiculous called Raven's Banquet. Right. So we would call the first season of the show Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet. So next that season, gets you out of that the, gets the, us out of the, the legalities, the solitary, right? Like the, those two words. So and next, that, that next expansion pack will be like the next season, exactly. Essentially. So next season, which we are in the middle of writing right now, is Mythic Quest colon something else, Got it. and then the third season, and then the fifteenth season. I don't know what we're gonna do, <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, it was a, we 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 didn't fight back too hard because we felt like. The, the the title "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" was so unbelievably ridiculous uh, that, and now it's become kind of part of the charm of the show, and sure. people just call it sunny. So we assume that that people just call this MQ or Mythic Quest. Yeah, anyway. this is your thing now. This is your your brand is yes. unwieldy titles. Yes. Um. So how's the how's the press tour going? Because this is odd. Like, I mean, essentially for the last fifteen years, you've been talking about one thing. Yes. And often with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously it's still a collaborative, uh, collaborative show, but you're front and center. Um, yeah. Has it felt like a, a kind of a different kind of experience now that you're out front on a new project? Y- yes. I mean, honestly, we haven't done this amount of press on Sunny. I mean, ever. We just did with this press tour yesterday that, um, that was insane. It was insane. And I'm not by no means complaining because we asked for it. We, yeah. we wanted it. But I've never taught, I've never been so sick of my own voice uh, and very cognizant of the fact that, like, you know, there are other people in the room who are listening to me say the same things over and over and over and over again. And you realize you talk to other actors and other writers and they say, or directors, and they say, oh, no, that's the gig. No, this right? is the norm. Yeah, this, this is, is the norm. Yeah. And I just realized we had never done that on Sunny because when Sunny first came out, nobody cared. Right. Nobody wanted us on any of their shows, and rightfully so. Nobody had heard of the show until four or five years in. And then by the, that time, like season six or seven, when it started to hit, then we felt like, well, we, the show didn't really need it anymore, right. right? And it wasn't because we were such a massive hit. It was just that we had hit like a, the niche audience that we knew we wanted and loved. Yep. And that to expand beyond that probably wasn't going to happen because that's just not the nature of the show. Right. So then I never did talk shows. I never did. I didn't do a ton of podcasts. I didn't do, I mean, podcasts actually didn't even exist at the time. Uh, And that's how long we've been on. And so I just kind of felt like, you know, if we're going to launch a new show, that we should put, uh, we should put everything into it. Does it feel like, I mean, I'm somewhat surprised in like, you know, when I started to like look at your work outside of Sunny, like it's been relatively, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like it sounds like there have been some difficulties in getting other projects going. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to get into Sunny and kind of like the unique nature of that. It's obviously like that was so wholly original and strange the way it all happened. But have you been surprised over the years that it's been tough to get feature directing, other series, things like this? I mean, Sunny takes up a lot of your time, mm-hmm. but you've, you've attempted other things. Sure. Yeah. In, in the beginning, Sunny took up because we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, and even though we were only doing 10 to 15 episodes a year, because we were, uh, you know, I was show running and because I was also uh, in the show and then also editing and, and we were still finding our footing for many, many years, it took up a good chunk of the year, if not 10 to 11 months. Right. So we didn't really have time to do anything else. Then slowly but surely, we were able to come up with a more efficient way of doing things. And then I was like, okay, let me branch out and do some other things. And I was getting um, offers to write and direct um, movies that would be very similar to Sonny. Uh, I had a couple of offers for movies that have since come out uh, over the years. And I, and I just, 
I just didn't want to do something for the sake of doing something. I recognized that was coming from a place of extreme privilege because uh, I had a TV show that I owned yeah. that was on the air for seven or eight years. I didn't have to do the, do those jobs I didn't want. But and I remember even talking to my uh, my agent at the time and them being like, you know, you're passing on everything. And I was like, you know, it, it's not even that I have this like incredibly discerning or discriminating taste. It's just the stuff that I'm getting is yeah. just garbage. And I don't want to work just to work. And I, I learned very early on from talking to people uh, that that idea of like a springboard project just doesn't work. You have to love what you're doing. You have to. You can't do something just because you think it's going to get you something else. Right. Because it's too much work. And then ultimately, it can also backfire where people see it and they go, well, that guy's terrible. Um, so uh, I kind of just held back on that. And then there were other TV projects, but I couldn't act on them. So I was able to write and produce, but I couldn't act and we couldn't act on them. And we have a very specific uh, comedic sense, yes. right? Yep. And so... It's like we would try to write things and then we would shoot a pilot and like, you know, it's not that we didn't hire great actors. We did, but they just didn't do what we did. And I remember at one point I was directing a pilot that I wrote uh, or co-wrote uh, with Charlie. And uh, we thought it was really funny. Right. And we hired and we went through the casting process and we hired a really great actor. Um, uh, and but he wasn't necessarily known for being very funny, but, you know, it was the studio loved him sure. and we were like, okay, we can make it work. And I remember on the first day, the scene was that he was like being humiliated. Right. And I was like, okay, so what's happening here is like, you're being uh, basically like torn down. You're being humiliated. And he was like, okay, yeah, but why is that funny? And I was like, oh, no. I turned that's, to Charlie and I was like, you're Oh no, <laughs> you're not with us there. I turned to Charlie. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do, man. Like he just li <laughs> like, it's not, I don't know how to give somebody direction if they don't understand why yeah. being humiliated is funny. He was more of like, I'm a star, you know what I mean? And so <laughs> we realized like, Ooh, that's not going to work. So then, uh, I went from that to, uh, the last three years, um, I was going to make the Minecraft movie. Right. Yeah, to write and direct the Minecraft movie. And that was actually a really pleasant experience almost all the way through, up until the point where it wasn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is great. This is great. This is great. Oh, God, this is horrible. Yeah. And, 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 and look, uh, look, all due, all due respect to, to Warner Brothers at the time. I mean, it was a massive swing for them. Sure. Uh, and uh, there was this executive there who was the head of production named Greg Silverman, and he was such a champion of mine and a really sweet guy. And I don't know if you ever, if you ever met Greg. So he was running Warner Brothers for a long time. And, um, and I remember they were looking for somebody to ha that would have like a different take on this yeah. on this on this mass, potentially massive franchise. And the only thing I had ever directed were uh, episodes of television and uh, you know a couple shorts here and there um, to kind of prove my worth in the visual effects realm. Because I, just like you know, your brother and, and Eddie, like I'm, I'm working TV, but I'm also interested in some of the same movies that I'm seeing posters for, right, in, sure. in your office. And I'm like, okay, but if I'm gonna get a chance to do that, I have to kind of prove myself like I did with Sonny. So I started making these shorts and then paying money to have visual effects companies come in and and I took this short and then a take that I had for the Minecraft movie and I went I was like there's no way they're going to give me this job and I pitched it to the people from Minecraft and then I pitched it to Warner Brothers and they hired me so I couldn't believe it what uh, are you comfortable saying what your take was because I've, I've had lengthy conversations with like my nephews trying to explain what Minecraft is to me and I still don't honestly get it so mm -hmm. I'm just curious like what what a My Rob take McElhaney sure. version of Minecraft um, would have been. Yeah, so I uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm comfortable talking about it because fuck them at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, 
I loved playing the game and I love playing it with my kids. And I basically, and, and Lego had, Lego had just come out and Chris and Phil to me are like, I mean, they're like comedy yeah. gods, right? So I sort of looked at it the same way, which is like if video games that I've seen, video game movies uh, in the past, uh, most of which don't work. And I think part of the reason they don't work is because there's a, already a fixed narrative. And the experience of gaming is that you're a part of the narrative to a certain extent, right? Like you're controlling what's happening in the game. And then all of a sudden you see it up in movie form and you're like, well, now I'm just I'm seeing, passive. I'm, I'm not, a yeah, passive, yeah, yeah. right? And yeah. so, And so I thought one of the greatest assets that uh, to Minecraft was that it didn't have a fixed narrative, that it was an open world experience. And that all you were essentially given were the building blocks to do whatever you want. Mm. And so it was one of those games where you're, yeah, of course it's a, it, it's a much younger audience. I thought what an amazing tool, much like Legos, right? Except now you're, now you're talking with infinite possibilities because it's digital to give to kids and not just kids, but, but any person who feels powerless, right? And kids mostly feel powerless. All day long, they're being told what to do, how to dress, do your homework, go to bed, da, da, da. And, and I felt like that could maybe extend to other people. And I think everybody feels marginalized to a certain extent. You feel as though your boss is telling you what, you what to do mm. all day long, or your spouse is, or you just feel like you're, you're, you don't have this sense of agency over your own life. Right. And the game gave you that. And I thought, man, that's a really profound experience. And I think that's why it's really hitting all over the world because these kids, it might seem silly, but these kids and the graphics were awful by design because who cares? The most important part was that you were given agency over your own experience in the game. And that's sort of what I started with. I was like, well, that's like the, themona, the, 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 the thematic component. Yep. And I remember I spent some time up at Pixar. Um, I became friends with... Um, some of, some of the guys up there, Andrew, Andrew Stanton, who's this incredible director and became a good friend of mine. And they asked me to come up and be a part of one of their brain trust sessions, which is, wow, yeah, like what that, a learning a experience. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, heady room. And you're really learning how these movies get made and what a collaborative process. But what Andrew always said was he basically breaks every single movie he's ever worked on into one maxim, one very short maxim. And no matter what, he can always come back to that. Right. If he's lost at any point in the film, what's our exactly? What's our and it should be yep. that simple. Yep. It shouldn't be two sentences. It should be one sentence. It should be a few words. And and that's and, why those films, by the way, work on the massive level they do because there's a simplicity of, of clarity of purpose. Yep. Even if you're not cognizant of it, the yes. filmmakers are. Yes. And then he challenged me and was like, "Go back and go figure out. Go to your all your favorite movies. Right." And figure out what that maxim is. And and by the way, it might be different from what you know Zemeckis uh, was uh, intending. But all, but that doesn't matter. Sure. What matters is your you what, you got, what you got out of it, right? Like that's none of your business anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's another lesson I've learned. Uh, but uh, but you, you, as long as you have that ballast, right? And so I came up with what that was for me, and and then I pitched that to Warner Brothers, and then I pitched a very simple story about. Um, people taking agency over their own experience in this in this digital landscape, and and they they went for it, and 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 man, like talk about uh, really like putting your balls on the line, yeah. right? Like Greg Silverman was like, this is a hundred fifty million dollar movie, right? Yeah. And and yet I really felt supported all the way through, and we got to the point where we had uh, a, a script that was in pretty good shape, and you know how it works, they're always rewriting, but 
we had a, a production team, we had an art department, we had a visual effects house. You had dozens of people we working had on this. Steve yeah. Carell signed yeah. on to yep. star in it. Um, we had stages booked, stages booked, and it was two weeks before the holidays. And uh, someone sends me a text. They say, "Hey, um, Greg Silverman is leaving Warner Brothers," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." That's a bummer. I mean, he's a really good friend of mine. And right. I really love him. And uh, I, this shows I, you haven't gone Hollywood. I, that you're not. Right. Your first impulse is not. Wait, no. What's that going to do to me? No. I wish him great luck. I don't know what the situation was. I, he seemed sure. happy. He was going to go off and produce. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. I'll give him a buzz and you know say thank you for everything, and then I'll get back to work. <laughs> well, that's not really the way the movie business no, works. New leadership has their own ideas. And that was, and really, that was it. Like, and. Again, um, Toby, who runs, who I don't know if he still runs the studio, but he ran, he ran the studio, ran the studio then. Yeah. He was actually very gracious, and and he never actually really said, "I don't believe in you, or you can't do this." It just slowly died on the vine, and I don't think it was. I, I, I'm saying I'm not saying this because it's. I'm saying it publicly. I, I do say this privately too. I don't. I don't harbor any resentment. I get. I get it. I get the way that it works. Sure. Right. It's like he comes in, and I, I'm not his guy. Right. I was Greg's guy, and. And he had a different vision for what the studio was going to be. And so it didn't happen. But, but the thing that bummed me out was that it was three, two and a half years of my life. And we were a month away. I was a month away from moving to Vancouver to start prep. Steve was already locked in. His deal was done. <laughs> like we were making the movie. Bags were packed. Bags were Plans packed. Plans were made. Oh, yeah. We had, a, we had a house rented that the kids were going to come up to Vancouver. And all of a sudden... It wasn't happening, and I was like, "Wow, that's a that's a real, a really important and valuable lesson that when you're when you're working in this could happen at any point, sure. but with 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 these kinds of numbers and this kind of scale, 150 million dollars, um, which is what we were budgeted for, uh, it can fall apart at any moment. And so, unless you either a truly have the power and ability to not allow that to happen, which like three people have, that's, that's, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, then, then you just have to live in that mystery. And so you really, really, truly better love the process. And I did enjoy the process, but I didn't love it enough to do it again. Well, and it's funny. I mean, like, as I'm sure you are extremely cognizant, you have had, and your collaborators have had such a very unique, strange experience yeah. in like, I mean, I quite like what you guys did with Sonny and it happened a few years before, but, but the South Park guys kind of like they created their own small thing and they were for whatever reason, timing, place, etc., were given insane autonomy. Mm -hmm. And ever since then they kind of like exist in their own universe. I mean, fair to say that's what you guys have, have had the luxury of experiencing. Yes. Yes. Well, so what I found is that I certainly don't, um, I don't, I, I don't have that level of autonomy and privilege in the movie world. Right. Again, very few people do, yeah. so I don't expect Your that. Your name is Nolan or Spielberg. Exactly. Uh, but I do have it in the television space. Yes. And so I was like, well, okay, so the Minecraft thing was over. And I was really bummed, um, but mostly because I wanted to do it. I yeah. mean, it was just fun. It was really fun to live in that space. But I thought, well, now I've got, I have to see something through again. Um, and I remember it reminded me of, of Sonny, which was... You know, it was, it was, people ask me all the time, like, oh, it just happened so fast for you. And I'm like, no, it didn't. No. I mean, I was 20, <laughs> I was 25 or 26 when we started Sunny, but I didn't go to college and I moved to New York when I was 18. So from 18 to 25 or 26, I was struggling. That's a long time. Right. And I was fortunate enough to, to be in the mix going on auditions and not getting jobs and not getting jobs and not getting jobs and not getting jobs. And I just, 
got to a point where I was like, I need to see something through all the way through. And the only way I know how to do that is by actually writing something, actually shooting something, learning how to cut it and then making it. And I don't know if it's going to be a thing, but it'll be done. (laughs) And so that's what we did. And so then cut to 15, uh, 12 years, 13 years later. And I'm like, well, I'm in the same weird spot where I just got these yeah. major disappointments. And yeah. so the only thing I know how to do is just see something through. And that's when we had this idea for MythQuest. So does, does the video game world influence like that? I mean, is there any connection between Minecraft and being in that gaming world and wanting to kind of delve into this video game developing workplace comedy? Well, interestingly enough, um, we were approached by Ubisoft, which right. is one of the biggest game companies in the world. And they said, hey, we love Sonny. And we want to do a show set in the video game world. Are you interested? And I said, fuck no. I mean, and I meant it. I was like, no, I'm done. I just came out of that right. with Minecraft. I want to do the exact opposite. I, I want, want to, to think about opposite. a video game for exactly. five years. <laughs> and they said, well, look, will you just come to Montreal and visit our studio? So I was, I'd never been to Montreal. Free first class trip to Montreal. I'll take it. Thinking I would just drink my way through Canada for a while and have a good time. And I got Some up there. Routine. Yeah, oh, and I had a ton of poutine, <laughs> and I had a ton of booze, and you know, Montreal is one of the most beautiful cities yeah. in the world. So, I go to this game studio, and I just had an incredible experience talking with these people, um, and I just knew almost immediately that it was a great environment to 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 put a show into, and 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 so much of that was because I spent a lot of time talking to these incredibly passionate, intelligent, creative, driven people who all had a common love, yep. which was games and making games. And that was the only thing that they shared in common. And that's what makes for the best shows. And doesn't hurt that it's like this backdrop that like has kind of been unexploited for the most part and yet is a gajillion dollar industry, the industry beyond movies, beyond anything. Yes. Um, and like no one's been able to crack it, like generally speaking, as we said, in, in adapting games, let alone a behind the scenes kind of thing. I mean, you could go Silicon Valley in an abstract kind of maybe tangential sort of way. Yeah, the, the way that it, it was actually even more than that, the things that I had seen in popular culture and that we've all seen over the course of thirty last 30 years uh, really took a cynical tone. I mean, it was like also like, just deriding the, right. the the community themselves, and and there was just always that stereotype of the nerdy kid, you know, playing games in his basement. Or then you would just hear about the sort of toxic um, elements to the community sure. that you know that we'd hear Gamergate and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And and if you're not associated with the community, those are the things that were the headlines, right? And then you would you would think, oh, it's just like gamer bros or guys playing. Um, uh, Madden or, right. you know, or, or, or then it was the nerd, like the dorks, right. That right. were playing the world of Warcraft or whatever. And I thought, well, first of all, that's just, a, it's not true. Right. I mean, this is a massive, yeah, massive niche industry. No. This is everybody on the planet. No, right. everybody on the planet. And then I heard this stat and honestly, this stat really, really drove it home for me. And I remember talking to Charlie about it. I'm like, this is why this is going to be so fun to write. Grand Theft Auto the series of Grand Theft Auto has made more money than Star Wars, the franchise of Star Wars. Yeah. And I was like, no, I heard that. I was like, well, that's not right. And I looked it up and sure enough, that's including merchandising. (laughs) Grand Theft Auto has made more money. Yeah. It has made more money than Pixar sold to Disney. Whoa. Right. And so, okay, beyond the scale of it, everybody knows who George Lucas is. Everybody knows who Steven Spielberg right. is, right? 
Could you name two? Name anybody that worked that worked on game uh, on Grand Theft Auto. No. You don't know, right? You better believe it drives those people insane, and <laughs> right, rightfully right, so. Right. Totally, rightfully so. I feel like everything you need to know about your character is that it's spelled Ian, but it's pronounced Ian. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you enjoy about writing and performing this guy? Uh, well, it's kind of like Sunny, right? Because people are like, oh, it's, isn't it great that you're nothing like your character? And I'm like, well, I'm exactly like those characters. I mean, the thing about Sunny that works, I think the thing that works about any television ser- series, I would say, I'm sure it, it can extend into movies, but the thing about TV is that you're doing it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So it's impossible to distance yourself completely from the character. You're still the human being that's playing it, right? And then the writers start to write to what you do best. And what you do best is still an extension of yourself. It's just the worst versions or the best versions, whatever it might be. You right. know, like the heroes get to play like the most heroic version. You know, I'm looking at a poster of Kurt Russell and like you better believe that there is an aspect of Kurt Russell, that snake, right? Like totally. he, right? But yeah. then also in real life, he's not really that. Right. But he, but he can be that. So with Sonny, we just basically took the most ridiculous and awful aspects of our personalities and then we just put them on blast and then it gives you this opportunity to sort of exercise your demons of vanity or narcissism or anger or frustration or rage and then it's you know cut and then you can go back to a normal life and in some ways it's become so cathartic that it helps you become a better person outside of the the job because you're it's exercising like you're exercising, yeah. exactly. You're getting it out of your system. Right. It's like going for a five mile run. If you're frustrated, if you, at the end of the run, you're gonna not be frustrated. Well, you might be exhausted, right. but you're not gonna be as angry. So it kind of extends into, into Mythic Quest, where I'm like, well, sure, uh, this guy's insanely egomaniacal, vain, narcissistic, uh, and and am I those things? Well, yeah. There's an aspect of my personality, sure. of course there is. I mean, I'm doing. Look at what I do for a living, right? It's I'm like, look at me, look at me, look at me. But I. But those are, to me, the worst angels of my nature, right? And so I want to express them in a way that's like constructive and fun and then ultimately funny and then leave it there at the stage and then go home to my kids. One of the things, aspects I, I like that you guys kind of delve into the show is you have this character who's like this young gamer. What's the character's name? Pootie Shoe. Right. <laughs> Who like wields this insane power because he's reviewing these games from probably his bedroom, wherever. Uh, and as you well know, uh, we all know these people really do exist and they do have a lot of power. The part that I find interesting is like, as you all know, like in recent years, there's this like whole phenomenon of like fans feeling entitled to dictating where their beloved property goes. Like I know best what the next star Wars movie should be the next, you know, uh, season of my favorite show. Um, where do you stand on that? On like, sort of like the fans, like should fans, lay back and enjoy or do they have a part in the process for you as a creator? Yeah, I think I have a different perspective than I hear a lot of um, some of my compatriots having. I I welcome it. I, I truly welcome it. Now, I have not felt the vitriol in the way that I see you know, Damon, uh, and, and, and Ryan, uh, Johnson, you yeah. know, uh, and so uh, again, I'm coming from a completely different perspective. Sure. I will say though, um, that I appreciate it. Look all day long. Part of my gig is if I'm doing it correctly, right? I'm not a painter. I'm not sitting by myself in a room painting by myself. I'm not playing the guitar and writing a song by myself. Um, I'm working with other people to collaborate to make something. So right. all day long, I'm in a room with writers. 
I'm in a room with, uh, with actors. I'm in a room with art directors and, and directors. And, and, and my job is not to get what I want. My job is to listen to everybody's ideas and then be the arbiter of what winds up going into the show. Right. And I think you're really limiting yourself. If you're, if, you, yourself if you're closing off. yourself yeah. off, yeah. if you are so insecure that you believe you're right all the time, right? And, 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 and I feel like I'm just not talented enough to, to, do, to do that. And I truly believe that. I'm not saying that to be, to be humble. I, I, I think that one of my best skills is hiring the best people and then listening to them. Right. And then having also the, the, I do believe I have enough confidence in myself uh, and in my vision of what I'm looking for to either say, you're right in this moment and we're going to do that. But also, actually, I heard you, I understand, but I believe you're wrong and I'm going to go with my gut on this one. Right. And that's my gig. Well, and it makes you defend your argument, argument more Even and justify more. Yes. your side. And yes. that can only make, hopefully, the, yes. what you're creating stronger. Yes. So when I get feedback from fans, I feel the exact same way, right? Or if I read reviews or criticism or things that people are saying or, or I, it does it truly doesn't bother me um if people especially because most likely it's come from a place of love right and they want to they want their version of it right and sometimes i really will hear it out and take it out and take it into account and then adjust what what i'm doing but not because somebody told me to do it but because i was open to the fact that they might be right sure right the only thing that i have no time for are opinions um, from people who aren't really making an effort to try to understand what we're doing and just want to be angry, right? right? And, that, and there's a difference, and it's, and it's obvious what the difference is. So you have a, a character like Pootie Shoe, and it's really fun and funny, uh, but it's true, right? That, these, that, that there are people out there that these billion-dollar industries are relying on positive reviews from these kids. But, yeah. and, and everybody thinks, like, well, that's unfair. I, I don't think so. I mean, if you are targeting a certain audience right. and, and you have the voice of that audience who's saying, I don't enjoy this. Well, look, man, you have to at least take a look at what, why that might be. Sure. And in the end, in the end, you might say, I get it. I, I, I've heard you out. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. That's the process. So I want to go back a little bit. Uh, I mean, everybody knows that knows anything about you and Sonny. They all know like the, the, the mythic story of, of Sonny by now, the, you know, $200, pilot, how you guys kind of, what it was in reaction to, all of that. Part of what I'm fascinated by was, like, how old were you again when you started making Sunny? Uh, so, the, when we first made it on our own? Well, I guess 25. When, when FX bought it, when you started to make 26. it. 26. Okay. 26, your showrunner, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, with, fair to say, no experience running a show. What do you, I mean, at the time, was ignorance bliss? Did you feel in over your head? What was that first year like for you running your own show? I definitely didn't feel in, in over my head. I, I, I feel like, um, well, first of all, I had great partners, and that was really important. If I was really out there on my own, I don't know what my experience would have been, but I had great partners. Right. But beyond that, I, I do think that it was a luxury to almost get it at that point in my life because anybody who's been a 25-year-old man... Right. And now actually looking back on a, 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 with the lens of now uh, uh, of a completely different experience, which is a 25 year old white man. Right. Seriously. At that time. 
And you don't realize that you have this tremendous amount of privilege. And sure. I, it's only in the last five years, yes. seriously, yes. where you're now looking back on it and you're going, oh, wow, right? <laughs> like the innate sense of entitlement I had that Abs- I was just not absolutely. even thought of. <laughs> and by the way, just, just as a diversion for real quick, I, I feel like there's a, a great resistance uh, to hearing privilege for, right, for, for, from a certain uh, portion of the population. I will say this. I understand the resistance as well because I think when somebody first said to me, well, you have this privilege, my first response is, fuck you. I, had no, I knew nobody. I knew nobody in New York and I moved here by myself. I didn't know anybody in the entertainment industry. I grew up poor. I had a great family. I had great schools. But nobody gave me opportunities. I made them for myself, right? And there is some truth to that. However, as you get a little older and you look back and if you have people with compassion who are not trying to make you feel bad, but just trying to get you to understand what, right? And you look back and you go, oh, right. But this happened and then this happened and then this happened and I was able to do this and then I was able to, th- to do this just by a function of, of my birthright, essentially, yeah. right? I and mean, so- bottom line, you're a black woman with the idea for Sunny 15 years ago? Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. And, and, and I, I, I absolutely recognize that. But I will say that I also recognize the resistance to it. And we have to, we have to be compassionate to recognize that, that everybody's struggling, right? And that, and that hopefully in that struggle, you're recognizing that you're not the only one struggling. And some people are struggling even more. And for as hard as it was for me, it was impossible for other people. Okay, so beyond that, at 25, I had this you know, you're a 25-year-old man, you're just like, I can do anything. I will do, I can do anything. And then it's not till later you look back and you're like, oh my God, I was woefully ill-prepared for any of that. But my bravado like pushed me through, right? And I was also continuing to wait tables at the time. So, because they didn't pay us enough money for me to quit waiting tables. So to direct the pilot, uh, I they gave me off for two two weeks, one week of prep and one week to shoot it. And then I went back to waiting tables because I didn't know if this was actually going to work. Right. So there was a sense of humility that was also uh, in, in, <laughs> imbued upon me. And and uh, and so in a lot of ways, it was a blessing that happened so young. Um, I don't know if you're talked to death yet about uh, the weight gain and weight loss at this point, but as somebody that's always fascinated by this kind of stuff. I have to at least touch on it. Sure. So was that also, okay, so again, everybody knows this, but just to put it out there, you gained what, something like 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, you not only drop it all, but then turn yourself into this like insane Adonis that mm-hmm. can do a world-class ballet sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my question is, is that to test yourself? I mean, part of it is, I would imagine, look, you're doing a show for five, 10 into 14, 15 years, and you're just trying to like keep it fresh and entertain yourself. But there has to be something also, I mean, this is a personal journey. This is a personal test on, mm-hmm. on yourself. Um, as you kind of look back on those choices, what do you think, I don't know, what do you think that's about? Uh, well, no, I think you hit it r- right on the head, which is that we're always trying to stretch and do something different, right? And, and again, this is coming from a, a place of in- incredible privilege that we've been doing it for so long that we now look at it not only, okay, if we're going to keep doing it, like why are we still doing it, right? right? And, and ultimately, we, we always say we're, we, we'll still do it if we're having fun, if we still have something to say, and that the audience is still there. And all of those, we just keep checking those boxes every year. And a part of the reason that it's still fun for us uh, is and, and and also part of the reason I believe that the audience still co- keeps coming back is that we're doing we're trying to do different things. It still feels like the same show, 
right? We're not destroying the foundation of what we built, sure. but that it feels fresh and new. And then beyond that, on a personal level, that I also use the show as, as a, an opportunity to do things that are just interesting to me. Um, and that's one of the great things, by the way, about like when people say, you know, like, oh, you're on TV or you're famous or whatever, what is that like? And I'm like, truly being famous and the level of fame that, that I have, which is like, you know, lower on the lower scale of things, right? But I have the kind of the best version of fame right. where I don't get stalked by paparazzi. It's mostly just people coming up and saying how much they love the show. And then you take some photographs on, on you know, people's phones. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, you know, I'm married, right, with kids. So it's not like I'm out there partying and, you know, like meeting people and like, sure. you know, like it, it's, I, I live a very boring lifestyle. So what are the true advantages? Um, the true advantage is opportunity. You get to meet the most amazing people and do the most amazing things. And, you know, historically, uh, the thing that fa fame unlocks is that people will say yes to you more often than not, right? And traditionally, people have taken advantage of that, and we're seeing the repercussions of that. People are saying yes and yes and yes when they really don't mean yes, but you have so much power and influence that they have to. And so, the, but the, the, the virtuous, or at least uh, optimistic way of uh, taking advantage of that is that you have these opportunities to do really amazing things. Uh, positive things, and then also just to meet the people you've revered your whole life, or wanted to work with, or uh, or fascinated by. They'll take your call. They'll meet with you, right? Um, and those are the kinds of things. I mean, you have that right here, right? Right yeah. with your with the podcast. This it's whole like, thing is basically just a boondoggle to let me meet people I admire. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? And that's what I. And so that so Sunny's just become an extension of that, sure. right? Um, where I get to just. I thought it would be cool and fun and different to change my body. Like just treat my body as if it was like a, nut, like a piece of clay and I was gonna like mold my body into something. Were you sure you're, you were gonna be able to lose the weight when you gained it? Yes. You just knowing yourself and talking to physicians and just like knowing your own temperament that you had that discipline. Well, it wasn't even discipline too. I mean, and I, and I make sure that I, I, uh, I'm as honest about this as possible is that my metabolism is just very fast. It always right. has been, it's a genetic, uh, advantage that I, my family has, right? And it, or depending on what you're looking to do, it's not always an advantage because if you are actually looking to, like, when I was a kid, I was so skinny and so small and I would get the shit kicked out of me. Like that right. was a very distinct disadvantage. <laughs> I was a terrible athlete because I weighed 110 pounds when I was a senior in high school, right? Yeah. But as I got older, it, uh, it presented a lot of advantages. So, and I recognize that not everybody has that. So I knew when I gained it, it would be harder to gain than it would be to lose. Right. And to gain it, I was, you know, just consuming thousands and thousands and thousands of calories a day. And then to lose it, I just stopped doing that. Did Max coming out have the effect that you hoped it would? Did it broaden the audience? Did it, uh, I mean, you know, you come from an interesting background in that your mom, it's well known, mm -hmm. uh, you know, left the family, mm -hmm. ended up coming out and mm -hmm. starting a new life. I would imagine there's connections to that. But I mean, you know, having that sensitivity, the last thing you want is to do a storyline like that and turn off the LGBTQ community. It sounds mm -hmm. like that didn't happen. No. But No, in fact, I think that? it was the, it was the opposite effect. I mean, I think what what we weren't what I was personally not really aware of was how uh, how large a portion of our um, it was already there. viewing yeah. audience yeah, yeah, yeah. was was there yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, because we were always teasing the fact that Mac was in the closet sure. and 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 I remember we didn't I didn't realize the impact that maybe it was having on people until, and this is one of those cases where I listened to the audience. Um, 
one of the seasons, Mac comes out of the closet and then at the at the very end goes back in, right? And we thought, okay, if we want to keep that gag going, I got to go back in the closet and okay, that'll be funny. Well, people didn't find it funny. Uh, they were upset, legitimately upset. And not like screaming or yelling or fuck you or any of sure. that. It was just like, I think people were, were hurt. And I didn't think that people were watching Sonny for the reasons that it turns out that a lot of people were watching Sonny. Uh, and it wasn't one or two people. It was thousands of people. And I know that because I was getting hit up on Twitter um, and Instagram about it. And I thought, wow, uh, maybe we have a bigger responsibility to at least be a little bit more compassionate uh, to the experiences of all of our viewers, but specifically this particular um, subset that uh, are watching the show for a very specific reason. Um, and it wasn't because, and, and this, this would be destroying the show, if Mac came out and then all of a sudden became a completely different character. Right. That we thought we don't want to do. And that would be way more offensive than what we wound up doing, which is that Mac comes out of the closet finally and is just as repugnant and just as much of an asshole as he's ever been, if not more, now because he can, he can use that card whenever he wants. And I'm telling you the response we got back from the community, because there was some reticence. I remember people saying like, I don't know, like, I don't know if this is the right way to go. Maybe we should adjust him a little bit. But the overwhelming response from the audience, uh, the LBGTQ uh, audience was, yeah. Thank yeah. you. This is because we want representation. Yeah. We don't in want all forms. In all forms. <laughs> like they want authenticity and nuance. They don't want caricatures. Exactly. Exactly. And you were and, showing a different side. And we were showing it. That's, that's exactly right. And so, so there was one particular episode um, where the character came out. And then, and then the following season, again, just doing something different and, and a tonal shift. Yeah. Uh, I just I learned how to do a four and a half minute contemporary da uh, dance. <laughs> that little thing to add that to the yeah. you know, list of qualities on the resume going forward. So where are you at right now? So it sounds like you're, you're writing season two. Yes. Sunny as far as we know, is continuing for the foreseeable future until you guys collectively decide that was good? Yeah, I mean, we just don't approach it. Look, I, I just don't think TV shows are supposed to end. I really don't think they're supposed the to end. you smoke philosophy. You're when the was the last time you heard somebody say, wow, like that was the best ending to that show? Maybe Breaking right. Bad, right? right. And, and yet, even with Breaking Bad, and I remember because um, you know, the, people hated the end of The Sopranos, right? But also, the thing about The Sopranos was that you didn't quite know exactly. It was, you were, it was up to you, right? And we're still talking about the end of The Sopranos. Right. I love Breaking Bad, and it had to end the way that it ended, right? I don't hear anybody talking about the end of that show. I hear them talking about the show itself and how much they loved it, and mm -hmm. rightfully so. But it just feels so finite. And TV series, and again, those are dramas, but speaking of comedies, like the greatest sitcom of all time, from my perspective, is Seinfeld. And, um, you know... The final episode, um, even though Larry wants to talk about how much he loves it, which is fair, it's his show, I did not love it. And part of the reason I didn't love it was because they were ending a show in, in a way that didn't feel like it was the show because they were, right, they were trying to hit every character, right? But that didn't feel like an episode of the show. But beyond that, it was the end. And I didn't want it to end. You started the show. I didn't start the show when Jerry met George and met Elaine. Yeah, and there met, was a history. Right? Already there. Right. So Sunny starts and we're already there. We're this bar that exists. So why should it end in a way where people go, oh, and now what? It's the end? No, those people should exist somewhere. 
at all times, right? Yeah. So, and I ta- was talking to Larry David about this one time. He said, don't ever end your show, ever. Don't, never do a final episode. <laughs> By the way, Just, you see what he's doing with Curb, right? Yes, he takes a couple years off, comes years, back. Comes back come, and, yep. and like, you never know what's going to happen, but you know for a fact that they'll never be like, okay, this is the definitive end. Because I think it robs people of the experience of, of why they love it, which is that this in some fucked up alternate universe is actually still happening. Yeah, these characters are living and breathing and it's kind of back to like in a weird way what you're talking about Minecraft, this like open world thing where like this world just exists and you feel a part of it. In Minecraft there are participants, but here you're, there's something comforting about knowing like that, yeah, yeah. Larry's always out there getting its arguments. Exactly, exactly. And so there's this weird human, uh, like innate desire to want, closure because it's like a it's like a control thing because we don't have it in our lives right and so we think we want it to end so it's going to feel satisfying but then we're not satisfied when it ends and it's like i don't know i don't know how like really we want to get into it maybe it's like fear of death or whatever it is but like it's just that like control like oh no it has to end so i can close that door in my head uh but then it's over and and you don't you don't you don't get that satisfaction. Right. So I, I can't say for sure what we're gonna do, but I, I I highly doubt there's ever gonna be a definitive episode where you're like, oh, that's the end of the story. Sure. We haven't really even gotten into we, and we've covered a lot, but uh, really scratched the surface. Like your your film taste. My sense in just you talking about the posters and stuff is like you grew up with this kind of stuff mm-hmm. the same way I did. I'm curious, like in the wake of like your discussion about Minecraft at the outset, and also in this world where like the Russo brothers ended up doing. Avengers, mm-hmm. it's not inconceivable to see like a Marvel movie directed by Rob McElhaney. <laughs> is it? I mean, is I mean, having had that three-year journey, um, does that affect what the answer would have been five years ago? Or uh, I mean, give me your, your sense. Is there any interest in in jumping into like a franchise that you loved as a kid, love now, no, as a filmmaker, no, no, z- like zero. Zero and interest. did that change uh, from Minecraft? No, I, well, I, it, it, it actually changed. You know where, where it changed a lot uh, was with Chris and Phil. I watched Chris and Phil, and they're not like great friends of mine, but I know them. I know them a little bit, I'm, and I truly respect and revere them. Yeah. And I remember when they when they signed on to do um, the the Han movie, I was like, whoa. That's going to be really cool. Yeah. Like, I can't wait to see that because that's going to feel like, like, they should be doing that with, the, with, mm-hmm. the, with, with that world, right? Which is like, why does everyone have to feel exactly the same? And I'm sure they'll figure out a way to do their thing, and yet it'll still feel of the world. And then I kept hearing reports back, like, yeah. eh, they're not happy. They're, it, things aren't working. Things aren't working. And I don't know for sure, right? But I know for sure <laughs> what happened there, right? And right. like... And again, I'm not even placing fault on anybody in there because, you know, Kathy Kennedy and that whole crew, they have, you know, they're in charge and they're running their thing. But Chris and Phil have a very specific voice. And you go, I'm sure that first meeting was, you're going to let us do our thing, right? This is all you guys. Don't you worry. Yes, yes. And then slowly but surely. He's got the dailies back. Ooh, wait, that doesn't feel like Star Wars. Exactly. That's not not Star Wars. And they're saying, well, well, no, it's not Star Wars. If you wanted Star Wars, go yeah. get George Lucas. Like you wanted us to do our thing. Yeah. And I would, I personally, um, I would be a, I would be afraid of doing that. And then I look at, you know, somebody like JJ or, or Ryan, who I think did an amazing job, right? And so you're like, I appreciate and love that great filmmakers want to go do those movies because I enjoy watching those movies. But I think that they, they have 
first of all, somebody like Ryan is so talented and also just has the ability. Uh, he's such a sweet man, too, and probably has the ability <laughs> to navigate those things. And I, uh, I don't have the filmmaking prowess, and I also don't have the temperament to do it. <laughs> so... That's my verbose uh, way of saying, fuck that. Fair, fair enough. Well, I'm glad you're getting the sandbox to play in that uh, you've got at FX and now at, at Apple. Um, Mythic Quest. Uh, how are you guys dropping this? Is this one at a time or all of them? No, all so them, all right? nine episodes, yeah, are going to drop uh, on, on Friday. Um, cool. And And... I, I love that. And and they were very collaborative about that because some of the shows were coming out weekly. Yeah. And they asked us, they said, hey, what do you think? And I said, I think the show should come out all nine. And here's the thing about TV, um, where I'm at with TV, you know, specifically half-hour comedy. I am, I'm certainly not Steven Spielberg, but I have the ability to do what I want, right? Mm -hmm. And again, it's much lower stakes. But I'm trusted because I have a track record yes. and I bring all my shows in on time and on budget. I truly do. Because I respect the fact that these people are willing to invest millions of dollars in my thing. And the only thing I ask uh, is that they let me do what we do. Doesn't mean we don't take feedback. We do take feedback. But when, when and Apple d did this and FX does this, somebody's paying you millions of dollars, they have opinions, they should have opinions. At the end of the day, they would say, hey, we read the script, we don't like this. And I would say, okay, let me take it back to the team. So I back to the team, we come back, we say, sorry guys, uh, we like this. And they'd say, okay, but here's why we don't like it. And I'd say, okay, let me take it back to the team. We talk about it a little bit more, and we come back and we'd say, guys, we feel strongly that this is gonna work. And they'd say, Thank you very much for your listening. For listening, and go make your show. What is up with this evolved adult conversation shit they're well, doing over I, there? Look, I think part of it is also uh, there were times when they said we feel really strongly about something, and I, I would knew. even go back to the yeah. team and I would say, look, they feel very strongly about that, and we have to respect the relationship, right? I I fear none of them, and again, that's coming from a place, place of privilege. If they really are going to fuck up my show, I will quit. I don't need it. I I own my other one. Yeah, I, you're good. I'm, we're good. I'm doing this because I love it, right? And so we want to make something great, but I respect that they feel strongly about it. And I don't think they're, I think they're really great creative partners. And so I'm like, this is a give. Even though we feel like um, we disagree, uh, it doesn't change the show fundamentally. It doesn't hurt us in any discernible way. We still feel like it's a, a surface level adjustment that's going to make them happy. And I think it's important to, to show respect to your partners. And so we do it. And so it really is reciprocal. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's worked so far. It definitely is. Honestly, the, the, the new series is great. Um, some of these podcasts can feel like I'm like, I'm stretching and stretching and stretching. I feel like we scratched the surface today. So for season two, come on back. We'll keep talking. Absolutely. Uh, great to re uh, meet you today, Rob. And again, everybody should check out Mythic Quest Ravens Banquet. Thank you very much for having me. If I'm you need honored. me for a VO, let me know. I'm around. Do, let me hear it again. Mythic Quest Ravens Banquet. Oh, that was pretty good. Well, I, right, once I go knew I was up for yeah, it. I know. Okay, you, you got the gig. <laughs> All right, thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>